0: What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Monkey Mind Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Danny Perez, along with Anthony Florentino. If you haven't already heard the exciting news, we've recently been sponsored by Daily Dose CBD Inc. We're super excited to have this opportunity to collaborate with them. They have a great and highly effective product that both Flo and I use, and we hope you do too. Head over to their website, DailyDoseCBDInc.com, and use promo code MONKEYMIND to get 10% off all purchases. They've got all the CBD products you can need from oils, bombs, a lip balm, and some CBD for your pets too. Again, head over to their website at DailyDoseCBDInc.com and use promo code MONKEYMIND to get 10% off all purchases. Today is episode 24 featuring Jade Palladino. Jade is a former softball player at Nichols College and currently is a clinical mental health counselor. It was a pleasure having her on for an interview and we think you will find this episode extremely informative and helpful. Let's get right into it. Great. Thank you for, uh, you for coming on.
1: Yeah, no problem. I was super excited when, um, when, um, Hunts told me that I could do this with you guys. He was like, Hey, I just did this podcast and I was like, I was actually just about to listen to it. And he was like, definitely check it out. And he was like, they're looking for people that want to be on it. And he was like, and I thought of you. So I was like, definitely. Yeah.
0: No, thank you for, uh, thank you for coming on. And, um, yeah, the more the merrier and um, he told us a little bit about your sort of background and, you know, if you don't mind in a second, just give me a quick inter- introduction about, you know, what you do and I know you went to Nichols with him and played, uh, yes. played softball there, correct?
1: Yes, I did. So I went to Nichols with him. I played softball there. <clears throat> I went, my undergrad was for psychology um, and I started off as a minor in criminal justice, kind of thinking I wanted to go into the corrections field. Right. Um And then I ended up graduating from Nichols, and I went to Merrimack College in Andover, Mass. Um, I went there for my master's. I graduated about a year, a little over a year ago. Um, I graduated with my master's in science um, and clinical mental health counseling. So um, yeah, I graduated in 2019. And then this past June, I just hit a year in my new job that I got right out of grad school. Um, So I can go into a little bit about that if you want.
0: Yeah. Well, congratulations. That's awesome. Um, Thank
1: you.
0: What made you get into that? What uh, what sparked the interest in that field and um, sort of kind of taking that path?
1: Yeah. So when I was really little – I always love like basically observing people and whether it was like people just having conversations with one another or how people were acting and like behaviors and things like that. And I was always a friend that people always came to for like their problems. And I would always act as like a mediator and want them to come to me and I would want to console them and just make suggestions and advice. Um, And that's how I kind of knew that I always wanted to help people. Um, specifically I work in, um, I specialize is what I should say. I specialize in substance use disorders. Okay. Um, a lot of people ask me, you know, why substance use, right? It's so specific, um, when mental health is, can be so wide and it's not that I don't treat any other mental health disorders, but I specialize specifically in substance use. Cause that's where my passion is, um, And a lot of people will ask me, you know, like, oh, if you don't mind me asking, like, is there any personal experience? And um, believe it or not, there's actually none. Myself nor any of my family members have ever struggled with substance use. But um, what really fascinated me is I remember thinking back to when I was in, I think I was in the second grade and um, I live probably 20 minutes outside of Boston. And there's areas in Boston that are very heavily populated with homeless people. And I remember driving, and I was in the backseat and I just looked at my mom and I was like, why are those people, you know, living under that bridge and with trash bags and grocery carts and all these things. And she explained it to me really the best possible way someone could to an eight year old and just said like, you know, they haven't made some of the best choices or they don't really have maybe the best supports in their lives you know a stable home and things like that and I remember looking at her and being like well when I get older like I'm gonna make sure no one lives under a bridge and and everyone has a home and everyone has someone that loves them and um since then like I've just really wanted to work with people that have particularly struggled in substance use um just because of like how rapid and crazy the diseases and how some people like just think that there's nothing better out there in life. Um, Substance use is also heavily tied with um, suicide and depression. Um, And sometimes they think that's their only outlet and their only answer and life's not going to get better. And I try to help people get to the point where, you know, it's such a beautiful life is such a beautiful thing without relying so heavily on a substance. Um, And it does get better.
0: That's awesome. That's an awesome story about, you know, just kind of how you develop the interest in that path. And then that one story kind of just triggering, you know, your mission to showing people that that isn't the answer. And like you said, life is beautiful. I think that's just really cool how that whole thing kind of came about. Um, Yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, But yeah, I mean, what was the... Path after so you did you have any sort of I guess experiences struggling with mental health personally and as an athlete that kind of really sort of pushed you into pursuing this? Or was it just kind of, you know, kind of the way that you carried yourself and observing people Mm -hmm. and kind of gaining that interest that way? Was there also some um and again correct me if I'm going too personal, but was there any personal Mm -hmm. experiences that also really kind of pushed you into, you know, seriously pursuing this field?
1: Okay, right. So for me, I'm basically like it's so crazy, because I don't think any person at eight, never mind 21, sometimes know what they want to do. And I knew what I wanted to do at eight. And then being so heavily involved, involved in athletics my whole life, um, I was very open to a, a lot of other sports before I kind of settled down into just deciding just that I wanted to do softball. Um, and then when I went and participated in softball in college, I personally didn't relate to anything um, I ne- or experience anything in the mental health aspect, um, but I saw teammates that did. Um, I saw other sports teams that did. I lived with athletes as well. Um, so, you know, we would be really good vent buddies, as I would call it, you know, come home after practice or lift or a game and just kind of vent. And I started to realize – Nichols is a really small school. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to realize that as a small school – um, it was kind of lacking in the mental health area aspect, um, as resources and now they've improved so greatly. But when I was there, you know, I didn't necessarily realize until I was a, um, someone on the sports team that like mental health plays a huge role in everyone's lives. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear of athletes taking their lives. Um, you hear of substance use being involved in athletics in regards to injuries, Um, mental health is a major, a major piece. Um, And we like, didn't really have the best resources there. I personally felt like, or, it wasn't really talked about or advocated enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't actually until after college that I had reached out to a professor there of mine that I, you know, was really just like, Hey, I'm in grad school and I'm, you know, Merrimack's not a huge school, but I was like, I realized that so many students are utilizing their mental health resources. They have Mm -hmm. about like 10 to 12 therapists on campus, um, you know, 40 hours a week. And, as a student at Nichols College, I didn't know if we had a therapist. I didn't know where it was to be found. And I really turned to him in a sense of like, I want to advocate for this. And something was already actually in the making once I had graduated that they developed a new mental health area um, department and they hired two new therapists and a director and all that. Um, And it's just so important, you know, like in college, it's a huge piece, whether you play sports or not. Mental health is a huge piece for some people. That's the first time they live on their own. Um, and now you're taking finances, you're fully financially independent, um, laundry, you know, something as simple as laundry, um, feeding yourself, getting up and taking care of yourself, whether it's hygiene, you know, and with anxiety and depression, those things can seem like huge mountains and can be absolutely debilitating. Um, like I said, substance use, um, Also in college, you're in a really, really vulnerable state in your life. You're between the ages of 18 and 21. Those are huge growth periods for you. Mm -hmm. Um, As well as, you know, people, breakups happen. um, Loss of maybe friends or family members happen. And like I said, you're so vulnerable at that time. And it's really important that your resources are readily available. But I did, you know, I saw... Teammates of mine, um, roommates of mine just struggle with mental health. And sometimes they would express how they felt so alone. Um, Mm. And, you know, obviously at the time, all I was was another student or another teammate. Um, You know, and if they came to me, great, but I couldn't make them come to me. And I think that was the hardest part. And that's kind of why once I graduated from there and, you know, really focused on my field in grad school, that's when I wanted to go back and be this huge advocate for it because I saw it happen. And I saw so many people just kind of like feeling stuck of like, what do I do next? Or, you know, a lot of people at times felt ashamed, Um, you know, so it is, you know, therapy is, is, or having someone a safe place to talk to because you're fighting whether, whether it's your own demons or just, you know, whatever the case may be, it's really important. And like I said, I I did see it with teammates and roommates, um, classmates, like really anything, sports and outside of sports. So I didn't necessarily relate to anything personal other than just, you know, like I said, 18 to 21 is a big transitional time in our lives and a very vulnerable time. Um, And, you know, I went through everything that every other college student went through in a sense of like adapting to a new living environment, being more independent. Um, But I really saw it in a lot of other people. And that's when I knew, you know, I definitely wanted to do what I said I wanted to do when I was eight.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think well first off, I think the way you kind of you know found interest is uh so interesting because uh for Danny and I like we found interest because we experienced it, but um mm-hmm. like uh Hunter mm-hmm. he experienced it because of his brother. And right. you know, for you it's your teammates and whatnot and I get that um whether you're an athlete or not, like you experience some sort of mental health issues, whether mm-hmm. uh you're dealing with uh playing, training and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh obviously as an athlete, Danny, uh, myself, you can kind of attest to you know the pressure of not only um the pressure of your professors
1: mm-hmm.
2: but your coaches your uh trainers and everything that comes with that is you know all at once sometimes it feels so um I mean I think it's obviously a lot different because you're saying that you didn't necessarily feel Mm -hmm. like you had those but the fact that you could feel the pressure of the people that were having it, I think it's important because I I don't think there's um, enough awareness, I guess you could say. And um, to, you know, hear that you're focused on all of it because of your experience with people that did deal with it. I think that's great because I think that's where the separation needs to close. Mm -hmm. Because the people that don't have any sort of mental illness or you know deal with any sort of struggle and i'm not saying that you didn't deal with any struggle but there's right there's difference between somebody that you know has felt depressed or felt anxious Mm -hmm. but there that difference between somebody that feels it and somebody that has depression and has anxiety there is a difference i'm not belittling one or the other but right you know there's A very clear difference between somebody that feels it every day or, you know, whatever it may be. But, um, I think it's awesome to, to think that, you know, you're one of the few people that kind of focus their, you know, masters, their life around, uh, things that they experience through other people, because it's that, you know, intertwining, uh, feeling I guess you can say because Mm -hmm. you didn't necessarily feel it yourself but it was so bad in other people that
1: you could feel it Mm
2: -hmm. and I I just think it's great that you started to focus on that because I think that's where people that do feel it and people that don't feel it can
0: end that separation and actually uh, end up helping each other and, and just yeah. because it isn't your issue doesn't mean it, it isn't an issue and doesn't make it any less right. real. You know what I mean? Which I think, obviously, you know very well of that. So
1: yeah. Exactly. I think the biggest piece, too, to kind of tie into what you had just said is, like, the awareness piece and being educated on it, you know? And I always tell people, like, you, you don't have to ever experience depression or anxiety to, to do what I do but you just have to be aware of it and educated on it. And, you know, know what's, you know, just be there for someone, you know, sometimes people that are experiencing depression or anxiety or, you know, any mental health diagnosis in the book, sometimes they just need someone to listen, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes they just need someone to listen and be there holistically um, with no bias. And and that's what, if that's what I can do as a friend, as a coworker, um, as a therapist, like that is, that's all I want to do. And I think being aware of it is something like we're trying to bridge that gap is is there's people that are aware and like to keep it hush hush under the rug um big factor has to do with societal norms um it's getting better i will say that the stigma with mental health as well as substance use is definitely getting better um is it where it should be or i would like it to be definitely not but it's definitely improved um you know and now just trying to get to the people that are aware that mental health is a thing um it is a disease it does exist it is debilitating it does take lives and now having the people that aren't just aware but having the people that are aware and now do something about it is what's really important
0: and i think it's a good thing that you said the word disease because you mentioned it as well with substance abuse and we can kind of fast forward now to what you're currently doing i want you to kind of talk about what you're currently doing on your day-to-day and Kind of what it's like to specialize in substance abuse because we've had a sports psychologist, we've had a clinical psychologist, but not no one with a specialization in substance abuse. Flo, are you
2: okay. real, yeah, real quick. Before, where where are you? You said you're Tony Man's from Boston. Where whereabouts are you?
1: Um. So I live in North Reading, Massachusetts. Um. And I work in Salem, Massachusetts.
2: Okay. No. Well. Um. My mom's from North Reading, but you're saying that you were driving through. Boston when you were yeah. younger i i feel I think I have an idea of exactly where you're driving because uh there's a there's a street under the bridge and it just kind of i was like oh yeah like i I feel like that like the connection is pretty similar because uh my dad uh works around that area right where that bridge is I, and they they call it Methadone Mile. Yeah. Uh, I think it's called Molina Cass, actually, um, or something along the or One of those streets, but it mm-hmm. just kind of – I was like, oh, yeah, I know exactly which – I, yeah, I get it. Sorry. Yeah. I'm off track, but it was just like a small world connection and
1: – No, um, definitely.
2: What not, but like I – the only reason I brought it up is because I – can relate to those like those views in that like image mm-hmm. of like oh wow like I wish I could help those people because like right obviously it's uh you know it's sad to see and like
1: mm-hmm.
2: Danny sent me a snapchat the other day he was like I'm determined to find this homeless guy cuz he had a bag of fast food and um I did that I went to Providence and there is a you know, a few days or probably one day a week, I'd just buy like 10 hamburgers or cheeseburgers yeah. and just like drive around trying to find homeless people and just throw them out. So mm-hmm. um that's kind of what triggered in my head and like, yeah, what made me start thinking about like you not experiencing firsthand about what you said and whatnot, but like relating to other people and wanting to help other people. But I mean, it's off track, but I'm just, yeah, sharing. no, thank <laughs> you for
1: sharing. No, thank you for sharing that. It is, it is really true. It's, you know, like the hard thing too is, you know, methadone mile itself is you just see everyone. And the sad part that how my brain works is it's like they don't, those people on those streets don't know anything else. They don't know any other lifestyle. That to them is quality of life. You know, like if you were to ask them, um, you know, that that's their quality of life. They don't think there's anything better, you know, they, they can't beat it, you know, and it's, it's so sad because it's, I at least want to kind of do in my work is educate people and let people know, like I said, that there, there's so much better quality of life out there. You know, you don't have to be in pain every day. Um, and you know, that street in particular is it's tough. It is yeah, tough, so, especially yeah. at you know late late hours in the morning, two three in the morning. You know, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people.
2: Yeah, so you know exactly what we're talking about. But uh, yeah, yeah, I uh, I mean it's great. It's basically uh the path you need to take to get to the airport, coming from where I am. Um,
1: yeah.
2: But yeah, no, it's uh, you know, you drive by even now. It's like. You know, especially if you've gone through something with addiction or just like somewhere along those lines, you're like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And it it does make you, you know, kind of take a second and think, but um mm-hmm. let's get back to Danny's
0: question. Sorry yeah. to get off topic. No
1: problem. No problem.
0: <clears throat> Danny, so- uh Well, yeah, it was just pretty much um You've had a sports psychologist, a clinical psychologist, but no one in your field. And I was just kind of curious if you just pretty much tell me and everybody else who's listening um, what your day-to-day is like and the people that you treat and just kind of, you know, if you could dumb it down for me and everyone listening who has absolutely zero clue, just kind of tell us specifically, you know, what you do on your day-to-day.
1: Yeah, no problem. So. I'm a mental, my title would be a mental health clinician. Um, currently in my field, um, I don't know if anyone else has talked about this, but in my field particular, I'm becoming an LMHC and a LADAC. So an LMHC is a licensed mental health counselor. Currently I'm a mental health counselor. The licensed aspect just gives me a bit, the ability down the road. It's a future goal for myself, but the licensed aspect gives me the ability to open my own private practice. Um, so you can do the job non-licensed, but again, it gives me the opportunity to open a private practice. LADAC is a licensed alcohol and drug counselor. Um, that's just another license that I'm getting with it in particular, especially because I um, specialize in substance use. So what I do is I, I treat, I treat anyone. Um, the one thing I don't, don't treat is children. Um, I work typically with older adolescents and adults. Um, my youngest client is, I think 15. I think that's where I kind of draw the line. Um, but I specifically work with like 15 and up. Um, I work with people of any single mental health diagnoses in the DSM. Um, I have clients that have personality disorders. So I have, um, borderline personality, OCPD. Um, I have, people who are bipolar. I have people who struggle with depression, people who struggle with anxiety, um, people who struggle with adjustment disorder, um, which adjustment disorder is actually a lot of people experience at some point in their life. Um, And those are my individual clients. And I meet with individual clients every single day. Um, It depends on the different days, how many I meet with, but I typically range anywhere between eight to five clients a day. So anywhere between five and eight hours a day of individuals. What I also do is I also do groups. So I run a three and a half hour intensive outpatient program group. It's um, otherwise known as IOP. Um, It's for people that either are strictly getting recently released from rehab or detox. It's like a step down program from a higher level of care. For some people, they come right after using, Um, you know, if they don't think, if I don't think they have to be medically detoxed, they are allowed to join the group. It happens every single day from nine until 1230, eh, five days a week, and you're in the program for 20 days. So I run that twice a week, three and a half hours. Um, we talk about coping skills. We talk about, um, triggers, internal and external coping skills. We, uh, we make relapse prevention plans. Um, we talk about how the brain works and how substance use affects the brain. We talk about genetics and how substance use plays a role in genetics. Um, so I do that twice a week. I do a relapse prevention group at night. Um, and again, it's an open group. So there's no time frame on how long people stay in it, but they come in, we make relapse prevention plans, type of same, you know, same type of thing, but more so of a step down now from the IOP. It's not every day, it's once a week. Um, and I also do a um, driver alcohol education course. It's called DAE, otherwise known as the first offender program. So people who have received first offenders DUIs. In the past, I've done repeat offender, so anyone who's gotten a second offense or a third offense or a fourth or a fifth um, DUI. So I've done those in the past, and currently I'm working with first offenders, Um, and the law in Massachusetts requires that first offenders do 16 weeks of it. So it's a 16-week closed group. Um, We talk about anything from, you know, the discussion of whether substance use is a choice or a disease, um, Melanie's Law. Um, which is only in the state of Massachusetts Um, we talk about the rules and laws and procedures and stipulations with first through fifth offense of DUIs Um, same thing we'll talk about the brain Um, that group is more of a psychoeducational group so it's more of an educational piece I'm teaching um, people about it Um, and my other groups are more so um, like solution there's more um there's more therapeutic orientation to it. Uh, we'll do some CBT skills. We'll do some mindfulness skills, but DAE in particular, the first offender program is particularly, um, just kind of education. Mm
0: -hmm. I think, uh, we brought up a lot of things that sparked questions, but one thing I want to go to quickly is, um, sort of the triggers and then the coping mechanisms, because those for me personally were super beneficial. Um, Mm -hmm. I had to see multiple therapists because of my anxiety and then it goes into my depression and what, what helped me right. at the time and what kind of helps me now is I start to mm-hmm. educate myself more on what it is. And even I go through it and I still have to educate myself. So mm-hmm. one thing that I realized is just kind of what works for me and, and what are the triggers that make me feel certain ways and mm-hmm. how to cope with them constructively and how to cope with them on a day-to-day basis, that way they don't become worse. And I, from someone in your field, what are some of the triggers that you see for people who, you know, go down the path of substance abuse? And and then you can, you know, after that, kind of talk about their coping, you know, ways that they cope. But just kind of talk about the triggers that kind of cause that.
1: Right. Awesome. So some triggers as well as some risk factors. Risk factors are really big in substance use. Um, And, you know, for those who don't necessarily know the terminology of like what I mean by risk factors, what I mean by risk factors are, um, you know, the nurture versus nature. That's a big part. Um, Your environment. So for some people, um, what they what they know might only be if they come from a family that struggles with substance use is substance use. So environment plays a big role on substance use developing Um, genetics play a big role. Um, You know, if you have someone who an immediate parent um, who struggles with substance use your you're, you have the genetic. Um, exposure to be 50 to 70 percent likely to develop a substance use disorder. Um, So you have that, you have the environment, you have as well as age of first use. So teenagers are experimental. Um, You know, believe it or not, before the age of being a teenager, people are curious, experimental, especially how easy accessible it is. Um, We always talk about for parents, I've been trying so hard to run a group for otherwise known as al-anon um but for loved ones or siblings or parents um that struggle with someone who has substance use i've been trying to get a group up and running to educate them you know like lock up your liquor cabinet you know put it in the safe um because the earlier they're exposed to it it's not a death sentence you know they're not gonna be an addict but the early the exposure age does have a role into developing a substance use disorder um you know, those are some risk factors that go into it. Some triggers for some of my clients that are substance use disorders are also environment. You know, if, if you're, you know, living with people that are really heavy in either drug use or alcohol use, you know, um, peer pressure, um, and maybe not in the best area of town. Um, you know, uh, triggers can also be, you know, a client said she watched, she was in recovery and she watched a drug deal happen at, you know, in front of her neighbor's house. That was very triggersome for her. Um, other triggers could be just not only, so they go hand in hand. I call them and what you guys probably know is dual diagnoses. So having two diagnoses, so having a substance use diagnosis and then, um, which substance use falls in the mental health category, but then specifically having a mental health diagnosis. So anything like bipolar, um, depression, anxiety, um, sometimes people's anxiety or depression can be a trigger for them to use substances because in, it is in that very moment, their only coping scale that comes to mind. Um, and kind of going on about that is alcohol is a depressant. So, you know, when you talk, when you break it down, Alcohol doesn't really help when you're feeling depressed, but it numbs you. So people think it's, you know, they think that's their coping skill. Um, so, you know, their depression could get them and fall back into the vicious cycle, the vicious disease of substance use, anything, um, depression, their anxiety. Sometimes people say, um, oh, a drink will calm my nerves. Um, so they will turn to the unhealthy coping skills, which is using substances, um, you know, and, and any coping skill, not just substances, but any coping skill that you get, you know, told in therapy, or you hear of anything is good in moderation, right? Exercising kind of going on the topic of athletes. A lot of people will say running or lifting or going to the gym is one of my biggest coping skills. Well, you know, being addicted to exercising is a thing too. runners high. You know, so again, if you're running, you know, 15 miles a day, every day, 20 miles a day, 30 miles a day, you know, that's excessive. And that's when it becomes unhealthy. So there's, there's, there's hundreds and thousands of coping skills, but they're only healthy when they're in moderation. Um, Some coping skills that my friends, uh, my friends, my clients um, have used, but also with my friends um, are, you know, like for some people uh, meditating. Believe it or not, when I first started as a therapist, I worked with a lot of mentors that were like Reiki masters, um, very, very huge advocates for mindfulness. And that's something that I personally struggled with. Um, I'm a very go go active person, always on the run. And it took me a while for me to get myself to practice mindfulness with my clients because I struggled with it personally outside of there. I couldn't get myself to slow down. I couldn't get mm-hmm. my my mind to slow down and stop racing. Um so mindfulness is a huge thing and mindfulness is not just meditating. Um one awesome coping skill I do with people is being present, right? I always work with people about controllables and uncontrollables in situations. You can't control the future and you can't control the past it's it either already happened or it hasn't happened yet so sometimes what I do to ground people is I'll say in this current situation what can you control you know they might say x x y and z they might say abc they might say nothing whatever the case is and that way it makes it a little bit more you know present in front of them like okay I'm stressed about this situation but there's nothing I can do about it or I'm stressed about this situation and I can be proactive and do X, Y, and Z. Um, I always tell people, you don't have the future. You don't have the past. You only have the present. And when you're anxious about the future, about something that necessarily hasn't happened yet, or you're you're stressing over the past, you're taking away from the present moment. Um, that's mindfulness. So that's a coping skill that a lot of my clients have turned to. And I've personally gotten better with myself. Um, some other coping skills. I have a lot of people that love music. Music is a huge outlet for people. Art. Art therapy is a huge outlet for people. Um, just just talking, picking up the phone and calling a friend is a coping skill for them. Um, I always say an idle mind and idle hands don't go well together mm-hmm. at all. Um, it is a downward spiral, and it will lead you into a very dark hole um, when you have both idle minds and idle hands. Um, and it's just, you know, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of coping skills that I could sit here and list, but I would probably yeah. bore you to death. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so uh, it's crazy you say that because my my, uh, my home screen or my lock screen, so when my phone's mm-hmm. locked, my background is an idle mind is the devil's playground. And then mm-hmm. um, idle hands are hands of the devil. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so it's kind of uh, – Always the mindset that I've had. So staying busy has always been a big part of everything. But I actually have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously you deal with people that you know struggle and whatnot. If you know, let's just say somebody's new to being sober, mm-hmm. right? And it's you know, day one, two, three, one through the first week, and You know, their anxiety started before, but they stopped drinking. And then, you know, the next day they're trying their best. They're thinking about it and they're going much longer than they ever have. Mm -hmm. So say they start drinking at 9am, but they get to 4pm and they, you know, start to get that anxious feeling and, Mm -hmm. you know, that almost like full on panic attack. Yep what is something you would say because i know there's going to be people listening that can benefit from this and you know i don't drink anymore and um you know you could say i was one of those people like oh i'm really anxious i'll go mm-hmm. grab a beer on the boys um so um obviously not i wasn't you know, along the lines of you know the people that really struggle and whatnot, right. but what is something that you know you you could say or you know tell them to do that could you know calm them down because um part of the reason we basically do this podcast for people to hear other options, yeah, because you know maybe the options they have heard before don't help,
1: okay, yeah, totally, so. Some things that I would say to someone is play the tape through, um, playing the tape through, not just with substance use, but in life, you know, what are the outcomes? If I do pick up this drink, what are the outcomes? And if you already did pick up this drink, what are the outcomes? If I continue to drink, um, is it worth it? Is it worth what I'm putting on the line? Um, you know, play the tape through what benefit are you going to get out of drinking that drink or using that substance? You know, is the benefit going to outstand, you know, the cons that comes, come with it you know, is the high going to be better than your low? Or is the low going to come back? And then after you use, you're faced with, you know, what I do tell people is you use, right, over a trigger, triggerous um, situation, you're anxious, something's bothering you, you don't know what it is, you decide to block it out, and you go use. Now, when you go use, it's going to bring you not instant gratification, but Again, depending on the substance you use, some have a very quick onset, but alcohol doesn't typically hit you all at once. So it's going to take a while. You're not going to just drink one. You're going to go for more. So I always ask people to look at it as, okay, this current situation at hand is bothering you. You're going to go use over it tomorrow when you're hungover or you're coming down from whatever it is. You're now presented with guilt. So guilt for going and using. Um, maybe you're hungover. So you're physically miserable. And guess what your situation that was making you anxious or depressed is still there. So when I say play the tape through I mean by saying like weigh out what the pros and cons are are using you know how how you think using that substance is going to make it better if it will make it better you know and there's going to be people that are going to say yeah it it is going to make it better and we'll sell it to you like the best salesperson out there there is you know but at the end of the day there's there's no There's no, um, there's no one excuse or one reason that that will sell me to be like, yeah, you know, that's a great reason to use. Um, So playing the tape through, um, you know, what I do with people too, is when they are struggling, I have them in the moment, try to come up with top five reasons as to why they should stay sober, why they want to stay sober, you know, and whether that's like, um, for my health, for my physical, mental, emotional health, for my loved ones, um, for, you know, whatever it is, I try to have them come up with that. Because in that very moment, you think the best option is to go use. Um, I'll also tell people to call someone call someone is the best is the best thing to do, whether it's a sponsor, whether it's a friend, whether it's a peer, a mentor, whatever the case is, call someone, call someone and don't, maybe you don't feel like saying, Hey, I'm struggling right now. I think I'm going to go use, call someone, just be like, Hey, how's your day going to get your head off of what you're thinking about, you know, depending on the situation. Um, Another thing too is, is wait 15 seconds because the craving is actually only 15 seconds. So if you were to sit there and count to 15, count to 30, your craving is already gone at that point. So your craving is actually shorter than sometimes it's how do I want to phrase this? Is the craving is so short, but people will describe it as having the craving for hours and hours and hours. Um, you know, so if you sit with it a little bit longer in that present moment instead of acting instantly, the craving will pass.
2: I think that might have been one of the, you know. Best uh, advice, or one of the best um, explanations of things that people uh, could possibly do. Um, mm-hmm. I I grew up around the topic. Um, I've firsthand dealt with the topic, yeah. and I know multiple people that are mm-hmm. still struggling with it. And I wanted to clip that because I think that is so powerful and coming from a person that, you know, has experienced it and, you know, growing up with it, going through it, and then seeing other people with it. I've seen every angle of it. And right. it. I, I just think it's very powerful and, and I think that, well I have one person in mind that I want to send it to because I think um them hearing it will be very beneficial. But um yeah, I mean it it kinda I mean I'm a little taken back by it just because like it's so simple but it's mm-hmm. also so hard to do. And yeah. I mean for me, like I get people have struggled way worse. But for me personally, like my, like you said, like idle hands, Mm -hmm. I do Legos because I, you know, you got to follow directions. Yeah. And with, (laughs) I don't know if you or anyone that listens knows Legos, they don't give you directions. They just show you pictures Mm -hmm. and Legos look the same. For a lot of pieces, so you really have to, you know, focus and distract mm-hmm. your mind to one thing. And right. when you're doing those things, it's like you don't think about anything else because you start Like, I'll, I'll admit, I get pissed off doing them because I'm like, this piece in my left hand is the same thing that my right hand is pointing to on the instruction sheet. Yeah. And even when I was like, oh you know what like why not just grab a beer or two Mm. i was more frustrated and determined to get you know this star wars spaceship built right and i get it's so simple and i'm not gonna say childish because you know there's a ton of people out there that you know enjoy and you know do these things for a living and i'm not Mm -hmm. gonna belittle you know their passion but for someone that's trying to distract their, their their, brain, obviously there's other things, but Legos particularly is like this little piece mm-hmm. is supposed to go there, but you know, you sit there trying to cram it in, and then 20 minutes later it's but then you find the actual you know, like, wow, with it, and now I have this like millennium falcon i i don't know if you know star wars but it's the big spaceship yeah yeah. i did it right and you see the initial you know thousand pieces and then when you're done you realize that three and a half four hours has gone by Mm -hmm. and you built this a thousand piece set and although you got frustrated you stuck with it and, you know, you didn't think about anything else. You're so determined. And even I, even a broke person starts to get, you know, involved and, you know, in the mindset to, I'm going to finish this. I'm going to do it. This is what I'm doing right now. And they forget everything else, the cravings, the urge, the temptation. And, whatnot. Right. and then when they're done, they're like, wow, I avoided, you know, giving up
1: mm-hmm.
2: and letting whatever was in my mind take over and I finished and now I have one of probably the if not the best movie series like figure in front of me like right and I mean obviously there's so many other things like I know I got a buddy that does uh those like airplanes and yep you know the idle hands and the idle mind just staying busy and I guess it's tough at first but I mean, I'm 25 and I'm building Legos, but All right. you know what? I'm hey, but that's your,
1: that's your coping skill.
2: And I'm happier than I've ever been. I'm healthier than I've ever yeah. been. I feel better than I ever have. Like it, it. it's, I just wish people that, you know, have some sort of struggle could find something as simple as, you know, Legos. <laughs>
1: Right. Right. And I, I, everything, everything that you said is, is so true. Um, and I think, I think the beautiful part of it is I very, so I live with my clients is I, I think goals are important, but I don't live by goals. Um, and why I say that is because you set up a goal, right? I want to be sober for six months. Okay. Or you set up a goal. I want to lose 30 pounds in six months. I want to be this. I want to do that. Right. So my issue with goals is I don't have an issue with goals. I have an issue with putting a time frame on goals because mental health and substance use don't have a time frame. It if you set up that okay I want to stop drinking in 1 month and you drink for 3 more months you're going to feel defeated. You're going to feel like a failure. You're going to want to drink more. You're going to go your depression is going to go into a darker hole. So my thing with goals is okay what are some things that you want to do in your lifetime? What are some things that you would like to be seen done, you know, like to be seen done? And they might say, I want to be eventually, I want to be sober from all substances. If that takes them their whole life, if that takes them five years, if that takes them five days, that's going to feel better than saying, I want to be so I want to stop using every substance by next Monday and say next Monday comes and rolls around. And they let themselves down, you know, sometimes putting a time frame on goals sets someone up with false expectations. And when you, when you don't achieve a goal, or when you have false expectations, or don't achieve, you know, whatever it is, you fail, you feel like a failure, you feel defeated. And that's when the vicious cycle of depression kicks in, um, you know, with a dual diagnosis, especially if you're dealing with both. Um, I think Legos is an unbelievable coping skill. Um, I have a client that does car models. Um, I think it's so cool. Um, I never realized how small the pieces were in car models. Um, It's actually insane. And he paints them every single piece himself. Um, One thing that I'll say sometimes is not necessarily the first coping skill that I will recommend someone to do. Um, It works for some people. But reading, it is how many, I mean, asking the both of you guys, if you have something going on in your life, you can't focus on reading a book your head is going here, there, and everywhere, and you're not fully focused into what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And you saying that there were so many times that you've wanted to give up with the Legos and just completely flip them upside down and walk away, how rewarding it was when you finished. And what I say with my clients is that you're sober for today. You're sober for this hour. You're sober for this second. You're sober for this this minute, you know? Like you don't need to say I'm sober for 6 weeks. Get through today. The biggest accomplishment is getting another day or another hour or another minute or another second sober, you know? And if during that 24 hours or during whatever whatever the piece is, if you if there were triggers, if there was triumphs, if you got bad news, if something didn't go your way and you made it another second minute hour or day sober it's a beautiful thing and it feels so much better than caving in and doing it
0: that's spot on i think um it's just a matter of i don't know what you think about this but i feel like i don't know if the right word is trial and error but it's just kind of finding what works for you yeah Um, because everyone is different everyone operates different and i think that you can't compare yourself to other people i used to always think that i was fine by comparing myself, well, you know, like, yeah, I get anxious and whatever, but everybody else is handling the, the same situations as me just fine. I know this is a right. little slightly off the topic of, of mm-hmm. you know, drug and substance abuse and all that. Yeah, but no problem. It, it does correlate, you know, um, yeah. for someone who is, you know, using, you know, substances and they think, well, this person kicked the habit just fine by doing this. It's like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: well, no, you have to find what works for you, you know?
1: Right. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. I'm I'm someone too that like my first thing I'll say is meetings don't work for everyone. I'm not going to sit here and preach, go to AA, go to NA, go to smart recovery. Um, I'm not going to say that because for some people meetings work for some people they don't, you know, some people love AA and NA, some people don't like them and they go to smart recovery. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with smart recovery, but AA and NA are been around for years um, and can be sometimes very higher power, um, religious based, very spiritual and Mm -hmm. smart recovery is very educational. So it's very science. Um, It's more educational in a sense of like, this is how the brain works. This is how triggers work. This is how, you know, this, you know, it really breaks it down in that Mm -hmm. sense. There's no um, religious or spiritual or higher power aspect in smart recovery. So, you know, I, I, I've had clients where both of, um, part, they were partners and they both used and one got into recovery one way by having a sponsor and going to meetings and one got in by just stopping cold Turkey, you know, like it, it, what works for one isn't going to work for everyone. And Mm -hmm. I think trial and error is actually a very good way of putting it because, you know, there's going to be, I might as a therapist be like, Hey, here are some coping skills. Why don't you try these? I've had plenty of clients call me a week later and being like none of those worked. Okay. Awesome. Now let's, let's brainstorm some other ideas. You know, there's so many of them. And what I actually call it is a coping skill toolbox. So when you come to therapy, your toolbox could be empty. Your toolbox could have coping skills in it and they might have some cobwebs on it and they might need some dusting off and, you know, resurfacing and um, getting some kinks out or your, um, you just might need to incorporate new ones. You know, it's your toolbox. My job as a therapist is to fill that toolbox or to dust some of the ones that you've strayed away from that have worked for you and start doing them again, mm-hmm. because sometimes we're humans, right? So sometimes we're like, Oh, I got this. I don't need to go to therapy anymore. I don't need to take my medication anymore. And then it's like, nose dive, right? You have to work on yourself to, to maintain stable whether mm. it's you go to a meeting whether it's you talk to a friend whether it's you go to therapy whether it's maybe every tuesday night you go to the driving range you know like whatever it is whether it's legos um modeled cars um you know you have to you have to work at it mental health and substance use is a daily job and when you don't work on it it doesn't work you have to work at it every single day
0: yeah which yeah well it's I've, I was told that pretty much by my third, my most recent therapist that
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, like, and that actually like really bothered me to hear that. Cause I was like, Jesus Christ, I gotta deal with this every day for the rest of my life. I have to like battle this, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> and, and like hearing right there that, with you, bro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And hearing that actually, um, really like kind of upset me a lot and i thought about that yeah. a lot and then i kind of found out ways to spin it in a way that okay like like yourself i'm also a go-go person too so mm-hmm. i i'm like all right well how can I use this to my advantage like what are ways where i can be active all the time and get my brain moving in a creative way that mm-hmm. way i'm not thinking negative things and i'm Finding ways to take care of my body. So, you know, I, I recently, I mean, I say the past like four years since I went up to University of Maine. I, I grew up out like I grew up in New Jersey. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm in Essex County, so it's right outside New York City. We don't. Okay. We don't hike. We don't fish. None of that. You know what I mean? Move up to Maine. I go on my first couple hikes, and I meet people who prioritize nature and the outdoors first. And I mm-hmm. found like a new outlet that I can now explore and look forward to Mm -hmm. that has helped me big time, you know, and it's a new hobby that for me is working and putting my mind back into a physical space that keeps me going and keeps me excited. Also, this Mm -hmm. has been huge hearing other people's stories, having people like you on. And it's just, I, I, at first it was like, geez, now I got to deal with this every day. And then I was like, okay, well how can I use this to my advantage to, make it into a positive, you know? And how can I, and the first thing, you know, me and Flo completely always agreed on this was giving back and helping others. And it's just been Mm -hmm. so rewarding to help other people find what works for them and help them. Um, even if it's, you know, one person who listens to one story that they hear that is Mm -hmm. rewarding in itself. And that's just the way that I've kind of found, what works for me to cope with what I go through and I mean obviously like I've said in other episodes I have my daily routines you know Mm -hmm. yoga meditation those things work for me writing down three things I'm grateful for
1: yeah saying
0: saying affirmations out loud vision boards those things kind of keep me aligned but Mm -hmm. once that morning routine ends what do I have with the rest of my day you know right right now I have this business that I'm working on with you know an unbelievable partner that I've never even met in person you know oh wow Uh, yeah, never met in person, yeah. you know, which is just crazy how life works. But um, yeah, it's just that was that trial and error that wow. took so long. And I'm at a point in my life now where I'm stringing together more positive and good days than I am,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, not. And That's awesome. I know that I'm still going to have bad days ahead of me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the bad days are, aren't way behind in the rearview mirror. I know there's going to be bad days, but now I have a, a plan. Of attack and partner. and partner now, yeah. That 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 can help me get get through these things, you know. Right. Little, you know, it just yeah. I don't know. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean that's what I was gonna say a little while ago. Like mm-hmm. the trial and error part. Like <clears throat> I don't think I don't think she'll even listen. But my mom is. I believe thirteen years sober and um, you know she's been my rock. Like I'm a mama's world, straight up. Um,
1: yeah,
2: but she's always you know helped me. And um, I, I for some people they they struggle at first, um, you know because they're trying new things, they're doing doing that, and you know it's not working for them. So. People start and Mm -hmm. it goes to the trial and error. Like, and, you know, sometimes they fall off, which is fine because, you know, some people can cold turkey. Some people Mm -hmm. need, you know, maybe 10 days fall Mm -hmm. off, start back over. And I mean, obviously people deal with it way worse. Uh, I carry my my mom's 24 hour chip with me. So every time I take my wallet out, I see it. And, you know, it just, like, kind of reminds me, like, all right, I earned that. And um, obviously everyone's different, but the trial and error is so crucial because I'll openly admit, like, I didn't cold turkey because I tried to, but I yes. couldn't do it. And, right. like, it is what it is. Like, 25 years old, like, everyone... I hang out with or all my friends Mm
1: -hmm.
2: it's somehow a couple beers involved right? but now that like every time I take out my wallet like going to convenience store going wherever it may be taking it out of my pocket I see that and it reminds Mm -hmm. me so like just a little constant reminder and I'm not saying I was like a full blown alcoholic to the point where like my life was in danger but a 23 24 25 year old like obviously i could have been living a healthier life but if i didn't get a hold of it it probably could have led me down that path and um obviously with my career it was affecting it and i wanted to you know take control of that before it got to the point Mm -hmm. where you know i wouldn't have been able to make up for it and I mean, it's as simple as seeing something like that. Like I have tattoos mm-hmm. and those help too, because they're full, but just as simple as taking your one out. And I, I'm not saying it for any other reason besides giving other people another potential option for, to, you know, use that could help them because I'll openly admit I'm a bit of a mental case when it comes to certain things so like I need something that's like all right like constantly in my head and you know reminding me which is why I get tattoos to begin with because right you know I just look down my arms and I see something that reminded me of a time where I was Mm -hmm. like I need to be strong I need to do this I need to do that and they help so much and with um it was my mom's uh the coin she got Mm -hmm. 13 years and however many days ago so that's also a big part of it because i kind of i take pride in how strong she is because like i'm at however many days and yeah i'm 25 and i'm like holy shit 13 years like
1: <laughs> right
2: it's it's, it's
1: That's amazing a really good and, point you know, that it's you brought and so up.
2: inspiring and my mom is uh you know <laughs> she raised five kids four four boys right. um and uh you know she's she's an angel and you know to to go 13 years um after a long battle, and you know, it, it gives me strength every day. And uh, I I thought I was a mama's boy before, but you know, uh, now now I uh, it, it's it's more as a hero standpoint.
1: Yeah, and I think also too, like the two things that I kind of want to touch on um, in that. Um, number one is that, you know, like you saying you're 25 and, um, you know, and sitting here and saying like, Oh my God, my mom has 13 years. So one of the biggest things that I've actually run into with my clients, especially maybe 18, 20, 21 year old, 26 year olds that are like, I'm only 21, I'm only 18, I'm only 25. Like I, I'm, i, I I can't sit here and say to myself I have to be sober for the rest of my life and I sit there and I say you know who's talking like that why are we talking like that who's talking about 20 years from now we're talking about right now we're talking about in this very moment and you being sober for today next week this month is is very important what are some of those reasons you know and that ties into you keeping her chip in your wallet. Um, I will say this is, you know, if people take this from the podcast, that's awesome. Um, One of my things that I do stand by in particularly two of my groups, um, my relapse prevention group and my IOP is I don't let you leave the group um, or, you know, in your 20 days or in however long you're, some some of my clients are mandated by the courts and things like that. Um, I don't let you leave my group until you make an emergency coping skill card. What that card consists of, it is it's an index card. Index cards are really small. Index cards can fold up to being really, really small. And I do it purposely on an index card because an index card can always be in your wallet, can always be in your pocket, can always be in your car. On that index card, like I had said earlier, one side of it is top five reasons to stay sober. In the moment, you like I said, there's no good reason to stay sober. You can pull out that card and that might be the reminder. On the other side of that card are um, is a mini emergency evacuation plan. Three steps. I want three steps to what you're going to do. Leave the situation. Where are you going to go? Who are you going to call? And that might be, all right, I leave the situation, I go to my friend's house, and I call my sponsor, or I, you know, I just talk to my friend there. Or, you know, some people, I make their mini evacuation plans, you're going to a party, you're driving to the party, you're, you know, you plan on not drinking, Um, you park your car on the street, you don't park in the driveway. Why, you might ask? Because what if someone blocks you in, you're not getting out in your head, you're staying longer. Now the environment might be not the best environment for you. It might be very triggering triggersome for you. So now you're stuck. Now, you know, you feel overwhelmed, your anxiety is kicking in. So an emergency evacuation plan is on the back of that card, along with three names and three cell phone numbers. And what I do with that group is I can't tell you how many times my clients are like oh, like I'll write their numbers down on the card when I get home. And I say, no, you're not stepping out of this door until you write their numbers on, on the card. And they say, well, why, why? We'll do it when we get home. And it's like, you say you will, but if I enforce you to write their name and their number, you have no excuse. You know, Next time you go to use and you pull that card out and you see a name, but you don't see a number and your head's going a mile a minute about wanting to use it look romanticizing and fantasizing over using you're not going to sit there and be like oh okay I said I was going to call Joe but I don't have Joe's numbers now I'm going to have to look it up you know where if it's instantly on that card and it's as small as something that can be folded up and kept in a pocket or a wallet for some people that small card that small token that you have maybe it's a picture of someone um that can do absolutely And tremendous amazing things that can stop someone from going and relapsing
2: yeah it's crazy you say that because uh (laughs) um I my boxing coach uh, a lot of Mm -hmm. people in my gym are um you know either in recovery or you know a couple years sober and uh I just I'm very open about it so I talk about it every day yeah and obviously there's been times where i'm like uh, all right like i'm ready to lose my mind so uh it's actually right there follow her on instagram um but uh so the other day we were talking and i was just like yeah i'm stressed out like i was at a party the other night i picked up a cup and i took a sip out of it and you know before it hit my lips i could smell that it wasn't water <laughs> mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it kind of like triggered me and I ended up leaving within 10 minutes of that happening. Cause I was so, you know, I was just out of it. And, you know, we wrote down three things that I could be doing when I get triggered. And I leave it in the middle console of my car cause, uh, it's where I leave my wallet. It's right. where my phone charger is and mm-hmm. whatnot. And, you know, at first I'm like, I'm never going to look at this. I'm never going to do these three things. And like the last week, it's like the three things are go for a walk,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, ride the bike or play video games <laughs> mm-hmm. just because it's like some like my godson's nine. So I play with him if I play, but yeah. Um it's been so beneficial and um, obviously what you just said about the three, um, three names, three things you can do and whatnot. Like it's, I obviously haven't done exactly what you said, but Mm -hmm. for anyone listening, like even something as little as, you know, bike walk video games is so beneficial and I highly recommend it for anyone that, you know, has a crazy mind like me and needs to you know needs a reminder and I also started you know I have four pads of post-it notes in my car if I get a negative thought I write it down I put it I stick it on the uh, you know the dashboard and I actually forget about it and you know just writing it down helps me and even if it is negative I'll still put it on the dashboard but also the positive things I'll put on the left side uh, negative on the right, and then after three days, I'll we'll take all the negative, I'll we'll put them in a bag, and throw them out or reread them and <laughs> do whatever.
1: Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. It it is is really important, and a lot of times like. Um, I sit there and I say like, you know what, if they make these cards and they throw them out, they throw them out. If they make these cards and they never use them, they never use them, you know, but it, it, it is a big about it's, it's really big and trial and error. Um, I can't tell you how many clients have been like, especially over the weekend. So we don't work on the weekends. We don't have group over the weekends so you know, I typically like to make them on a Friday with my clients. And I do that because is, I can't be your resource over the weekend. You know, I'm an outpatient clinic. So there's higher levels of care than me. So it's like I'm Monday through Friday, 40 hours a week. And outside of that, you know, I'm not really reachable. So I make it with them on a Friday. And how many clients come in on a Monday and say, Jade, I was here. I was there. And, you know, whether they keep it in their wallet, their purse, their center console, the back of their phone and their phone case, um, you know, they've like, all I had to do was touch my pocket. All I had to do was, you know, touch, grab my wallet and physically see it. And in, in, it got to the point where it was ingrained in their head that it was an automatic response. Like, I'm going to get through this, you know, like, and if I feel myself getting any further along, I'm going to take that card physically out of my, out of my wallet or out of my pocket and look at it. And, you know, it's grounding, it's reassuring that there are valid reasons as to why you should stay sober. And there are people and there are things that are there for you
2: yeah no absolutely and i i i'm just really glad you came on because i think a lot of people can benefit from it and myself included but i know a lot of people that are struggling so um i'm very grateful you came on because now i have you know different options to relate yeah. to them and um i just i'm very grateful you came on so thank you
1: I'm very grateful that you guys asked me. I, like I said, I was super excited. I tried, um, I've known Hans for a couple of years and um, we kind of connected at homecoming, I think two years ago. And I think it was my first year in grad school. And he's like, I want to go to your grad school and do your program. And I was like, awesome. And I told him about it. And last year he went, he interviewed, I don't know, I'm assu- I think he got in. Um, I think what it was, was that the timing was just really off um, in regards to like his career, um, his living situation. And I remember him looking at me and was like, I want to do this, but the timing is just not right. And I, and I said to him, you know, nothing about grad school was easy. Um, I was a full-time student. It was Monday through Wednesday for, um, 6 PM till 10, 10 PM. Um, and it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And it also required a 7,000 hour internship that I didn't get paid for. Um, so it was very hard to work. It was very hard to see friends. It was very hard to do my self-care stuff. Um, you know, and there was the option of part-time, um, which just meant I did one more year. So I could have done it in three, but I did it in two. Um, and cause I was very eager to get working, but I had said to him, I was like, this is a program that you need to be fully ready for. You know, you can't go in it if everything's not aligned because it's, it's a lot, it required a lot of time a lot of attention, a lot of, a lot of tears, a lot of screaming, like it was a lot. And I had said to him, you know, you want to make sure you make the right decision and grad school is always going to be an option for you. It's always going to be there. Um, so that was, that's really how him and I really hit it off. Um, other than, you know, just the conversation of mental health that him and I are both really passionate about.
0: Yeah. No, that's awesome. And thank you again so much for coming on. Um, Yeah. You could just tell how passionate you are about this. And um, I think that's amazing that I think the people that you work with are definitely in in great hands. And um, we're just, it was a pleasure to honestly have you on and talk about this. I learned a lot today. I know people who are listening are definitely going to learn a lot. And um, I just, you know, we don't want to take up too much of your time. I just have, you know, two quick things, one final question, but also quickly, if you could, you know, just say, um, where people can maybe reach out to you if people are seeking help or just if they have any questions, an email, social media, whatever it may be. If you want to just throw that out there quickly, and then um, just one final question: We actually ask this to a lot of um, the athletes that we interview. But you know, perfect. We have a you know former NCAA athlete and you know current medical professional um, in the mental health field. We always ask, what are some things that you feel um, need to be done? In regards to you know maybe general mental health issues or you know athletics athletes and mental health what what do you feel could you know be done?
1: It definitely needs to be talked about more um, it's not talked about enough, and this is something that can never be talked about enough you know like there's some things that people will say like oh that person sounds like a broken record you know like. Anything that has mental health or substance use related isn't talked enough, nearly isn't talked enough. It's not advocated enough. Um, and I think that's what the struggle is, is so many of these people maybe want to get help and need to get help and don't know where to go. Um, and if they do know where to go, sometimes they don't want to because of the stigma towards it. Um, I think, I think there you know, a goal of mine would to, Eventually, I do want to get back into, or I want to get to college counseling, um, because I think college is a huge time in our lives um, that so much stuff happens. Um, And I know for me, my goal is if I was to get back into college counseling, it wouldn't, it would be about any, you know, any mental health disorder. Um, But particularly, like, I would make it a part of the program of each sports team having something weekly about mental health. You know whether it was guest speakers or whether once a week for an hour they had to sit down with the with the college counselor or the therapist because it's not talked about enough, um, and I definitely think too. Hans hit this in the in the um, last podcast that it's even it's even it's even more neglected in male sports. You know I'm a female. we're sometimes viewed as over emotional, very emotional um you know, drop of a hat, we could start crying we're we're talkers, you know, so we have no issue. That's not necessarily a hundred percent true, but it is a lot easier for females to ask for help than it is for guys um and you know it is to to the stigma around guys, um, asking for help or showing any type of, you know, what it's viewed as, as weakness, um, is, is so like just in the sports, male sports world, it's just, uh, frowned upon and it needs to be talked about more. And I think if it is talked about more, people would be more, um, reluctant to go and seek help, um, versus then not seeking help and having it do more damage. Um, so definitely seeing a change in it being talked about, it being advocated, um, even in sports you know complexes just having signs of like you know just like if you need help you know here's a the therapist number like it, it's just not I think back to when I was an athlete and I don't think it was ever talked about ever
0: yeah luckily we had a sports psychologist I think uh, my junior and senior year and that helped immensely but as far as that goes I mean I don't remember seeing any you know signs of around campus saying where you can go seek mental health help or you know a therapist um, right just yeah like something as little as that just make it like hey this is something that we offer you know if it's right. ever needed boom you just see it in passing you know if you're with someone you can just take a look at it you don't have to tell anybody you know it's not. I know people are pretty Great. private about that stuff, you know, yeah. there's just a sign that people can acknowledge as they walk by and that's it. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. It's, um,
1: yeah. It's and there's a, a reason, there's a reason too, why, you know, there's HIPAA laws, there's confidentiality laws. There's a reason why therapy is confidential. There's a reason why, AA is called alcohol anonymous, narcotics anonymous. Um, you know, everything is anonymous because you don't need to broadcast it if you don't feel comfortable. Um, you know, September is recovery month, suicide prevention week. Um, you know, and I think back to when I was in college and or grad school or in high school. And I'm like, this was never talked about, you know, make it a big deal because it Mm -hmm. is a big deal. Mm -hmm. You know, don't try to brush it under the rug because believe it or not, this is so big that it takes people's lives, you know, and then after they're gone, you sit there and you like, say, what could I have done differently? And it's like, well, you you know, you could have done X, Y, and Z, but you didn't. So how am I going to do things differently going forward?
0: Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's, a, that's hit the nail on the head, <laughs> hit the nail on the yeah. head right there. So um, yeah, and then just back to that first part, if you can just kind of Tell people where they can get in touch with you, whether it's, a, you know, email or personal social media, just how people can get in touch. With.
1: Okay. So my personal email, I'm not going to give my work email out um, just because I don't know how my work would feel about that. But uh, my personal email is the first initial of my first name. So Jade, and then my last name, Paladino, P-A-L-L-A-D-I-N-O, 716, so the month and the day of my birthday, um, at gmail.com. So that is my personal email um my emails right on my phone. So I tried to be for friends as well as clients and work related. Um readily available for my friends, family and work at all hours. Um I am a night person. So you're probably better catching me at night than you are in the morning. Um, and for social media handles, um, my Instagram is kind of embarrassing, uh, but it makes sense because I have red hair, but it's <laughs> Lil L I L Mermaids, M E R M A I D Z. Um, I am private, but you can always request to follow me and I'll let you, I just, I'm private obviously because of the work I do. Yeah. Um, And then you can find me on Facebook, um, my first name, Jade, and my middle name, Ariana. Again, I go by that without my last name just for confidentiality reasons. Um, But I am on both of those platforms. um, And you can always reach me via email.
0: Perfect. Yeah, I love that Instagram handle.
1: (laughs) I love that.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) But yeah, no, again, um, thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you on.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Have a great day.
1: You too. (laughs) Bye-bye.